Listen, you know, I'm I'm just connecting the dots here. I'm looking at the leak, you know, people getting excited over Windows as an operating system. You know, it doesn't happen every day. You know, we always like in this industry, there's always like, oh, is this like a controlled leak kind of thing? And it's kind of like, nah, that doesn't happen. Man, if the, if this did not feel like a controlled leak of like, hey, let's build up excitement by like leaking Windows 11. It was like this like slow rollout where all of a sudden I'm seeing screenshots. All of a sudden people got the full build. They're making videos on it. So I'm like, is this is this like controlled to like get like hype around it? And if it was like excellent work or if it was organic and Microsoft just played into it, it's like, all right, unveiling this week or because the unveiling was so soon, that's how it leaked out. Whatever. I don't know. I'm, I'm not a conspiracy theorist here. But the, the visual presentation of Windows 11, like the way it looks and stuff like that is a little bit interesting. I think a lot of people would say it kind of does look Mac OS-esque. Welcome to Geared Up. I'm Andrew Edwards. I am John Rentinger. Geared Up is your weekly look at the consumer electronics and gadgets world. And John, Let's do we it. have an issue. We have an issue. Uh-oh. You and me have an issue? You, you and, and I, I have, don't have an I issue have, with though. each other. Okay. But this week... We can't do the intro. We can't we can't stick to best guest we've ever had on the show. We have guests. Now why why is that, Andrew? Let me tell you the reason. First of all, I said guests plural, that's right. For the second time ever in the history of this show. It's true. We have two guests instead of one. The only other time we've done this was with executives from Microsoft and Samsung. Now that may lead you to believe that we have similar talent on this show this week but alas we do not (laughs) we've got the reason that this show is happening is because one of the two guests has been chasing me for about 2.5 years i made Uh, a promise 2.5 2.5 i made a promise that i failed to keep for so long but have never been able to forget mr travis McPherson. I'm going by McPherson. Woo! Travis person, but that's all right. That's fine. Oh, damn it. <laughs> I'm not the first, you're not the first person to get it wrong, so Fair that's enough. fine. <laughs> and Mr. Greg McFadden, the two Micks mm. in the world of podcasting. They are the hosts True. of Gadget Cast. They are also independent content creators like we are. Facts. All facts. But their podcast is not superior to ours. And so therefore. You know, for the record, I would like to clarify, I am not an independent creator. I am bought out by everyone. You know, if you watch a video from me, it is completely shilled and bought out. So don't trust a word I say. There you go. <laughs> and that is great. Full disclosure. Greg bringing the honesty, which I appreciate. Travis, yeah. how you doing, sir? I'm doing good. I'm, I'm glad. This is actually the first time that Greg and I as a duo have done a podcast. We've done interviews and stuff since, but never as a duo. This is literally the first time we've ever done it. And we've had people ask, but we've just never done it. There we go. Well, here it is. I'm making it happen as a make good for the invitation <laughs> yeah. I gave you back in, I think it was the late 1990s. Something like for that. For us to be on a show together. We're finally doing it right here. Gadget Cast hosts. Exclusive. Mm. Sorry, Waveform. You know, we don't return the emails. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no return his phone call. <laughs> So, no, it's cool. It's cool to have you guys here because, like I said, we've only done two guests one other time. And that was more of a obviously a corporate and sponsored thing. I'm curious to see how this is going to go. It's four people, four very opinionated minds <laughs> coming together for a show. In fact, John, are you still here? John, John is still in, in disbelief <laughs> as to what's happening. I'm, I'm flabbergasted and I don't know how we're going to get through four separate opinions. I'm going to have to go just contrary to everything. I tell you, it's going to go. <laughs> Here's how it's going to go, guys. Andrew's going to make excuses for Apple and try to <laughs> I- explain their choices and why they make sense, right? No matter what it is. Like, oh, you got widgets. <laughs> you, you can move widgets on the home screen now. And Andrew's going to explain to us for 10 minutes why that's amazing <laughs> um, and why we should be grateful that the Cupertino gods have blessed that with us. I'm going to say contrary. We're going to have a, a happy banter disagreement. And then you guys can come in and tip the scales the right way. Is really how most of the podcasts <laughs> end up going. Towards my way. I mean. Naturally. We'll do, on our podcast, we'll do predictions and things that are coming. And I take the road less traveled, right? There'll be an iPhone event in September. Andrew's, <laughs> like, Andrew's like, okay, here's my prediction. They're going to announce a new iPhone. All right. John, what are you going to do? <laughs> I'm like, well, <laughs> all right, man. Like, I'm going to go a little crazy. Let's say they announce a portless iPhone. And then he's like, John, this is my Andrew impression. John, 
you said on last week's podcast <laughs> that there was going to be a portless iPhone. We don't have a portless iPhone. So just that's, that's, that's a preparation. I can just do this whole podcast as, as Andrew and myself. And uh, Drew, take the week off. I mean, basically what we can do is end the show right there and just insert any topic <laughs> and people will know from then on how this show was going to go. But let, let's just jump into some uh, okay. some stuff. First of all, the two of you let people know what GadgetCast is, how it came about, etc. Oh, boy, Travis, you should probably you should tackle oh this one. I don't know. That sounds like a big picture question. Did Travis chase you for two years to get you to agree? To <laughs> no, we, we should definitely do the story about the chasing of the Andrew thing. But yeah, let's real quick talk about GadgetCast. So GadgetCast is just something that Greg and I do on Sundays that we it has become kind of cool. Like we've been able to do some really cool things on it. But really where it started was I already do live streams on Saturday mornings. And someone in the live stream was saying, hey, are you ever going to do a podcast? And I explained to them, I have done podcasts before. Uh, and I wasn't sure if I would do one for tech. I said, but if I did, and I just happened to look into live stream and Greg happened to be in the live stream. And I said, I'd probably do one with Greg. I don't, I just randomly kind of said, and he goes, you know, I was actually thinking the same thing. So I was like, I mean, okay. Like, and the funny thing is Greg and I didn't really know each other very much before that moment. And I said, all right, well, let's take it to the DMS. And then we just kind of shot some ideas back and forth. And, um, and it just started to work out. And, and everything everything we always hear, especially at the beginning of our starting GadgetCast, was that we had this kind of chemistry that worked for whatever reason. And I think it's just because we really like and respect each other, but we also have fun with it. So for sure, the Cancel Greg movement, which is something that I started, <laughs> I think, even before GadgetCast, mm. plays a deep role in the podcast. But Greg and I are having a lot of fun with it. And uh, we've got to talk to a lot of great creators. I think one of our first guests was John, yeah. wasn't it? Yep. Long time ago. Yeah. Yep. See, Andrew, I, yeah. I'd get out there in the world. <laughs> Listen, so <laughs> I'm waiting for my invitation. I'm just, I'm just saying. You were literally on last week. That's, that's, what that's what It was the after show. It was the after show. <laughs> this is true. This is true. Greg, you have anything to add to this story? I thought Travis uh, summed it up so well that I don't know if I could add anything else to uh, his speech other than that. At the beginning, I think there was a lot of chemistry, but like any relationship, it's been a little bit strained recently. No, I'm just kidding. No, uh, everything Travis said is true. Like I was looking to do a podcast for a long time and it was kind of like, well, do I want to do a solo one? I don't think I could fill an hour of me just talking. That would be so that would be so boring as Travis would attest to. So when Travis said like, yeah, when Travis said that he was interested in doing a podcast, maybe Greg, I was like, you know what? This could actually work out. This could be a lot of fun. We've been doing it for what over a year? I don't even know. It feels like it feels like we just started or something like two years, yeah. right? So we've been doing it for a while now, and yeah, I still have a blast every Sunday. We do it. So check it out, Gadgetcast in your favorite podcast app, and also unlike us, you also have it on YouTube in video form. Yes. So yeah, check yeah. those out. Today's Prime Day, gentlemen. Mm. Mm. Any of you guys picked up anything for Prime Day? Oh boy. I mean, I I'm, pretty, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty excited about ordering all those GPUs. I think that's really yeah. mostly what, no, I, what I'm Funny about. you say that, John. Funny you say that. Literally, Greg and I had this conversation yesterday. I want to hear what you and Greg have to talk about GPUs because he literally wants to build a gaming PC and the lack of GPUs is an issue. So I'm, I would love to hear you guys talk about that. I have experience with that the past week. Yeah. So for Prime Day, as a... Travis was explaining, I was looking for some deals on some GPUs or anything gaming related, and I have not discovered anything that I want. I did find a gaming monitor, which Travis, you know, we were talking about GadgetCast the other day, how I was thinking maybe I just get like a 48 inch LG OLED and set that up as my gaming monitor because the options out there aren't all that great when you're looking at like picture clarity, resolution and refresh rate. And uh, I actually almost bought a Samsung monitor today, which had like 240 uh, hertz refresh rate. And it was actually pretty good deal, like 550. But I literally just canceled it before hopping on here because I was like, eh, I don't know. I, I want like 4K as well. So I wasn't satisfied completely. But yeah, I'm having no luck finding anything on Prime Day. I'm very disappointed. If you're willing to go already built, there are options. Like there's yes. some pre-built options with, with GPUs in them. But finding any GPU on I mean, Prime Day is like a ridiculous example, but finding any GPU for uh, for retail is, is next to impossible. Yeah. And, and that's where I'm at right now is I'm looking to just go pre-built, even though I want to build my own. But every time I price anything out, you got like GPUs that retail for like 500, 600 bucks going for like $1,400 on eBay, more than double the price. So yeah. I am I am forced to wow. buy 
pre-built and then every time i look up advice because i'm not like a pc guy it's don't buy pre-built build it yourself and i'm like no you don't understand the situation i'm in we even got those comments on gadget cast the last night like no don't do it and i'm like what other options do i have here folks i gotta i gotta get something <laughs> we're in this crazy bubble that i mean the average person outside of the tech no one's building pcs the percentage of people who buy a pc no i'm I not did, saying no one i did last, is, i did last week First of all, I don't know what the hell you built because it looked like you were building a, a, a car. Why was that <laughs> Dude, thing so wait huge? Till you, wait till you, I'll show you guys video on it. Wait till you see this thing. It is good lord, unbelievable. I'm just saying when you look at the people who buy PCs, even just personal PCs, so not work computers, and then you compare it to the percentage of people who build their PC, most people are just buying pre-built PCs. So when people are like, "Don't you di- don't you dare buy a pre-built PC." That's this, the, that's what most people are buying. This is this so this is this is coming from Senor Mac, Mr. Mac, <laughs> El Macarino. I have a Surface laptop. And, and did Microsoft send that to you? But they <laughs> um, exactly <they> did. <laughs> so I mean, listen, gentlemen, grain of salt for the words coming out of Mr. Edwards' mouth here when it comes to PCs. <laughs> All I'm saying is, <laughs> it seems like the smarter option today. And John, you correct me if I'm wrong. No, you're is to go with a pre-built PC. No, no, you are. You're actually especially if you don't want to get screwed on the price of the components. No, no, you're absolutely correct. A lot of people that I talked about are buying pre-built PCs and then essentially stripping them for parts. Yeah, selling off, selling off the parts. Like they wow. want a they want a thirty seventy or thirty eighty, thirty ninety, whatever. They're just buying a pre-built one, pulling out the GPU, and then just kind of selling parts. And it sounds like the companies that do pre-built are not overcharging for those graphic cards. That's the only way to get essentially a like retail ish yeah. Uh, yeah. GPU. You have to bundle it with, you know, whatever processor you're doing and motherboard, all that kind of stuff gets from all the research I've been doing like this past week, it's like again, that graphics card, the thirty seventy, which is a pretty popular card, fourteen hundred dollars on eBay, but like if you buy like a pre built PC, it's like two thousand dollars. So you're getting a whole PC like almost around like the same cost as just the GPU that people are selling. And yeah, I've seen a lot of things on like Reddit where people are just stripping the components completely from for whatever parts they want, whether it's a uh, for the GPU. And then uh, some people are trying to sell it off or some people are like maybe giving that PC to someone else with their old graphics card as like an option for them to game on. Incredible. It's a whole thing. Yeah. And, you know, Austin Evans has been doing a lot of great content surrounding this, like with the kind of shortage of GPUs and um, uh, ETA Prime, who has a great channel on YouTube as well, has some really great content. And I'm not like super hardcore into the PC game or anything, but I do like to watch, for example, Austin. And he's just been spending a lot of time helping people figure out, like, how can you get a gaming PC now with things that are available? And I think his latest one was um, using like a gaming laptop, which was another alternative so it was really interesting to see. The, it's just weird to me that this shortage isn't exactly new. It's actually been going on for a while. Like ever since cryptocurrency started, there's yeah. been like this weird shortage. And the fact that they've never been able to catch up really is confusing to me. I just, I can't even understand how that has happened. I understand COVID definitely put, you know, a big dent in it, but they were behind before COVID. So I'm just really, I don't understand how that industry is lacking in its production. What I find, what I think would be very interesting to shake up the entire industry if they ever decided to do it would be if Apple came up with their own gaming level GPU. Like that would be interesting because even if it only performed as well and not outperformed Nvidia or AMD or something, it would definitely put a fire under them because you look at what the M1 has done to Intel and uh, AMD and how they're kind of looking at it like, oh crap, like. This company who shouldn't even be competing with us is beating us in benchmarks. Can you imagine if they came out with a GPU in a GPU strapped market and said, well, we're going to bring out something that probably be stupid expensive, but it'll probably use less power and it'll probably do as well, if not better than some of the ones you can get now. And then let's change the game. I think that would be compelling. I don't think so. It's an interesting argument. Apple's going the way of cores and I don't think dedicated GPUs anymore, but it is going to be interesting yeah. to see what they do with the Mac Pro, right? Because obviously there has to be something. That's modular that goes in there. So whether or not they just do uh, cores or or how they integrate it, I think will be uh, will be fascinating to see. And as somebody who just built a PC using a 3090, I can attest for like the difficulty of securing those cards, securing the components that go into it. I mean, is I haven't fought harder to get something 
than that graphics card. And I've been doing this for a really long time. I mean, I've gotten iPhones at launch dates. I've gotten consoles at launch dates. Getting a graphics card was unbelievable. What was your process? Like, like give us a peek into how, yeah, this, so how this went I was, down. So listen, I, I've built a few computers, but I am not, I am not an expert. And the level of computer that we wanted to build with custom water cooling and bending acrylic pipes was just out of my area of comfort. So we worked with Terrence, known as DePoets, uh, on TikTok as his big platform. Really talented, very nice dude. So we worked directly with EK to get us a, a GPU. EK does a lot of the water cooling components. So they secured a 3094, but it took almost three months. Wow. Of, I mean, we started with like 3080 and then we were able to get 39 just to get any GPU. Took all, almost three months, maybe, maybe two and a half months to actually have it, to physically have it in our, in our hands. <laughs> I mean, that's ridiculous. And if you get it in your hands and it's defective. Oh, you're, 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 you're out of luck. Yeah, yeah, you're, out, you're out of luck. Like, that's ridiculous. You, okay. are, you are out of luck. So speaking of crypto and everything, we are talking about having uh, Jimmy on the show. In a future episode, actually, John, you're, you're going to tell us after the show, you're going to show us what you're doing over there. And then we're going to we're going to get more educated on this topic. Yes. We're going to come back in a future episode and show people how this works. And it's going to kind of explain why this is happening and what's going on. It's not just all of a sudden people are into gaming and that's why these cards are, are hard to find. Most people that want them for gaming can't get them because the people who are buying them are mining crypto. But speaking of PCs. Windows 11 is coming up. It is. You guys seen this? We've got the leaks happening. Yep. People are installing it on, on like pre-release versions. Microsoft has an event coming up later this week. What did you think? I'm not even going to say anything. Okay. I'm going to let you guys talk. What did you think when you saw the visual presentation of what Windows 11 looks like? Well, Greg had a really interesting theory about this. And at first, before he said it, I... I wouldn't have thought about it, but the fact that a leak happened so close to the announcement, mm -hmm. I almost wanted to buy in on it. Greg, you want to tell them what you what you said on the other day? Listen, you know, I'm I'm just connecting the dots here. I'm looking at the leak, you know, people getting excited over Windows as an operating system. You know, it doesn't happen every day. You know, we always like in this industry, there's always like, oh, is this like a controlled leak kind of thing? And it's kind of like, nah, that doesn't happen. Man, if the, if this did not feel like a controlled leak of like, hey, let's build up excitement by like leaking Windows 11. It was like this like slow rollout where all of a sudden I'm seeing screenshots. All of a sudden people got the full build. They're making videos on it. So I'm like, is this is this like controlled to like get like hype around it? And if it was like e excellent work or if it was organic and Microsoft just played into it, it's like, all right, unveiling this week or because the unveiling was so soon, that's how it leaked out. Whatever. I don't know. I'm, I'm not a conspiracy theorist here. But the, the visual presentation of Windows 11, like the way it looks and stuff like that is a little bit interesting. I think a lot of people would say it kind of does look Mac OS-esque. And I thought that too, initially seeing everything like centered. I know people who have had like this leaked version of Windows 11, that, you know, you're still able to go into like settings and toggle things kind of back to how they were. But uh, definitely from the startup menu of Windows 11, it does look like Microsoft is trying to lean in a bit more to Apple design language, which is interesting. Uh, it's also interesting that, you know, I didn't know there was going to be a Windows 11 because when they did Windows 10, they kind of made it sound like, hey, this is the last version of Windows. And I always thought, well, Windows 10 obviously isn't the last version. There's always going to be updates after updates after that. But I didn't think the naming scheme would change. Like, you know, every year Apple has a new Mac OS, whatever they want to call it. And it's more like small changes. But yeah, it looks like we're getting bigger changes with Windows 11. I'm not sure what to make of it. <laughs> It only takes one person who has access to test software to leak it out. So, mm. you know, it doesn't take Satya Nadella to give the stamp of approval for let's go for a leak. Like it just takes one person, throw it up on BitTorrent or is BitTorrent even a thing? Wherever people leak mm. stuff, to, <laughs> wherever you download these things from, it just takes one. I thought the same thing, though, when I saw how it looked and it's not a knock on it, but it, it did seem to borrow cues from what we see in mac os as far as uh shapes of things color schemes and of course it looked more like a dock and less like the windows taskbar that we're used to i'm curious how recent of a build it is 
like did mm. we see everything that Microsoft plans to show us or did we see something that's several months old that is very unfinished and unpolished and on later this week we'll actually get something impressive. I don't know what what would impress you? What would be impressive? Can I jump in there? Of course. From what I understand, it is a relatively early build of what was going to be Windows 11. Okay. What leaked out. I also understand that there are a lot of things that Windows 11 will have that has not been leaked out yet. And a lot of features that have not leaked out yet. And I think certainly, like you said, it borrows aesthetics from, from Mac OS, which borrowed heavily from Linux. So I think mm-hmm. they all kind of borrow from each other, ultimately. I think Microsoft, and it's weird to even say this out loud, Microsoft is a company now, the Satya Microsoft, that gets it, right? They make some, oh, of, the be- sure. they make some of the best apps for iOS and Android. There's, they're agnostic when it comes to mobile. They're a company that gets marketing now and gets the hype behind it. I would imagine that this somebody knew something about this leak happening, right? Like I think it's like you said, it's a it seems pretty obvious, but I still think Microsoft has a lot of surprises up their sleeve for the announcement because this build has a new whatever launcher or start whatever you want to call it, but the rest of it looks like Windows 10, yep. and the file explorer looks like Windows XP still. So I think there's a lot of things <laughs> in there that still have not been fine-tuned yet. I, I cannot imagine that Microsoft is going to continue with two or three very distinct design languages inside of one operating system. What do you want to see? What would excite you about Windows? What would make you, during the presentation, say to yourself, I cannot wait to download this? So this is what I would do if I was Microsoft. I would work really heavily with Google, and I would try to integrate somehow a seamless integration between the core of Android and Windows for messaging, for duo calls. So the the ecosystem, quote unquote, that people have with Apple can extend cross-manufacturer on Windows. Mm. If you're trying to try to get people to upgrade, buy new hardware, I think that's an amazing way to, to do it. That aside... Microsoft has, like I said, three different design languages inside of them, inside of Windows, which looks, depending on what, what you click on, it's, it's, it's like you're, you're back in a time machine. So having that kind of being modernized, I think, would be, would be awesome. I think Windows doesn't get a lot of credit, though. I think people look at Windows and they still think of like Windows XP, Windows Millennium, Windows 8. Windows is really solid and really fleshed out and a really good option for a lot of people. If you are not locked in a competitor's ecosystem, there's a lot of compelling reasons to look at Microsoft. And what they can do is make those reasons more compelling, lean into their strengths. I think if they do that, they're going to have a huge success on their hands. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. We'll see. Later this week, I believe it's Thursday that the event is happening. Mm -hmm. The next iteration of Windows, they haven't even officially announced Windows 11. It's just, we know the name due to the leak. Yep. So yeah, later this week. So we'll talk about that more next week. One quick thing I noticed today when perusing the news is that Cyberpunk 2077 is back on the PlayStation Store. I didn't realize it was gone this whole time. <laughs> yeah. Sony stepped up and basically protected their users from what many consider. I mean, a lot of people like this game, even in its current form. Many see it as an abomination mm-hmm. and just uh, as big a broken promise as I had made to Travis so long ago. More than six months it was gone from the PlayStation Store. And now that it's back, it's back, but with warnings. So Sony is basically (laughs) like, hey, it's back. You can play this. Still. But (laughs) it's purchase on a PS4 is not recommended, it says. For the best experience, you need a PS4 Pro or PS5. What do you guys think about this? So I only knew that it was back on the PlayStation Store about an hour or so ago. So I just found that out about. But I also have been kind of looking at it from a distance because I'm waiting for the next gen patch before I even play it. Yeah, I haven't bought anything. Here. I'm just waiting for that. Then I'm just going to play it then. So my experience is going to be way different than everyone else's. But it's got to be like one of the first times that I can remember where a game got pulled from an entire store like that is. Yeah. And by the way, the worst of the two, because there's so many more people on PlayStation platform than Xbox, that's like the worst of the two. If you got pulled from Xbox, mm-hmm. I mean, I I would hate it, but it, it for the most part, it's still, you know, dropping a bucket compared to PlayStation. So that was the worst of the two. But I've been watching the performance videos from like Digital Foundry and stuff. And when it first came out, 
I don't know how, I mean, it later came out, obviously, that the executive board was more focused on the PC version, which came out kind of fine. I mean, there was bugs, but I mean, at least performed fine as yeah. long as you had the right hardware and just completely ignored the console, which is really very interesting. And a lot of, you know, reports came out from developers and stuff saying they would be overworked and that, you know, they were trying to bring up these issues. And of course, they lost a lot of stuff. All the things happened. Yeah. It's got to be one of the only times in history where something like that happened. I think the closest thing we can think of would be, no what, No Man's Sky when it came out and it, people mm. didn't really like it, mm -hmm. but then they repatched it and it has a new life now and yes. people love it. So people are hoping for that arc. I don't know that we're going to get that from cyberpunk. So much money has been spent and lost. They made a lot of money too, in fairness. But when you burn Sony... I don't know how that's a good business plan. But more than that, why did Sony approve it? Because they must they knew the performance on PlayStation 4. They must have tested it, right? Someone there must have mm -hmm. tested it. So it was a failure on their part as well. They could have pushed back and said, no, the performance here is not good enough. It's just ridiculous. Like I was looking at some of the performance, um, especially on the when it first came out, there were sections that it was getting like 20 frames per second on the base PlayStation and a little bit less wow. than that on the Xbox One. That's like well, who plays a game in 20 frames per second? I know that some people love their video in 24 frames per second, but uh, video games, no. So to me, it was a failure on both parts, but a really interesting story. We'll see what happens by the end of the year. They've already pushed out dates for the next gen patch. It's, it's a hot mess. I'm glad I don't work there. Wow. So I bought the game at launch, very quickly felt that it was not worth it. And said to myself, I'll wait for next gen. I didn't realize the next gen patch was going to be like a year out from when it, yeah. <laughs> I thought it would be like a couple months. But I never went back to it just because of how frustrating an experience it was. And at this, I don't know, at this point, it seems like this is not a game I'm going to play twice. So if I'm going right. to play it, I'll just wait for the next gen version and play through like the best possible version of the game rather than the mess the mess that it was. But do we know? I didn't realize. It never occurred to me, I guess. Like Sony, Microsoft, Nintendo, et cetera. I didn't realize that they test performance of games prior to them releasing. I just figured it was more we pay a license to be able to be on this console and then we release a game and people buy so it. Or I don't know. Buy it. I can only really speak for Microsoft because I've had experience with like their play test stuff. I know for a fact they play test stuff. I don't see why Sony wouldn't do the same. It makes no sense for them not to. Okay. And I'm sure if they didn't up until this point, they will now. But I'm <laughs> sure that, you know what I mean? Like sure. there's no way they don't now. But I know that at one point, I don't know if it's still the, point, the, the case, but Microsoft was like charging to do patches at one point. Like if you needed to patch your game, they were charging for that. So there's a process by which these games get approved. I do not believe that Sony and, and Microsoft were just like, yeah, just put any game you want up. We're not going to look at it at all. I don't believe that. Now, whether their SOP failed or they knew it was going to sell so much and they just didn't realize that it was a horrible experience, or I don't know what happened there. But I place the blame just as much on Sony as I would Microsoft. And if, like I said, if they weren't doing it before, they need to be doing it now. Microsoft never took the game down. So, and the game on Xbox One, it wasn't much better than PlayStation 4. It was worse. Or, yeah, it was worse. They, they just left it alone, though. It's like, hey, we'll take this win. Like, it's a terrible game, but the only place you can get it's kind of like a Microsoft exclusive at this point. We don't have many of <laughs> yeah. those. So, we'll just, we'll, just, we'll just use this uh, <laughs> in the meantime um, until our real exclusives come out. Speaking of which, E3 2021. We talked a little bit about this last week. We were mid E3 last week, and now we're, we're it's in yes. the rearview mirror. Love to hear your guys' take on it. The reason I'm asking you guys about games this week is because it's rare that we have people on the show who I would consider to be more than just like a casual gamer. You guys are buying games. You're playing Game Pass regularly. PlayStation as well, Greg. Yes. I know. Yeah. Andrew. What's up? What's up, John? So what do you got? We, we talked We talked about the, the usual suspects, right? We talked about Halo. We talked about Game Pass. Yes. We talked about sort of those big things. We did mm -hmm. not talk about Nintendo. Correct. Uh -huh. Had not happened yet. We didn't talk about the, the lack of new hardware. Breath of the Wild 2, I don't know what they're calling it. They didn't really tell us. Coming soon mm -hmm. and, uh, and officially. Now, if memory serves, though, every time we've had a new Zelda game, it's come with new hardware. Am I mistaken on that, at least for the past few versions? I think Skyward, Sky, Skyward Sword, Breath of the Wild. So I would imagine that probably yeah. by the time 
Brether of the Wilder comes out, <laughs> you know, we, we do have this rumored new Switch hardware. I'm curious, you guys, what is your thoughts on Nintendo sticking with the current Switch hardware? Does it not even matter that Nintendo has this so dialed down that they're, what is it now, four-year-old hardware? You still can't buy it. Right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, like, I, don't, do I really don't think it matters. Like, it's been selling out consistently for a very long time. Like, Nintendo Switch sales are doing excellent, especially when you compare it to the Wii U, which was a total flop. So I think they're very happy with what they have with the Switch. I, I think they're probably very happy that they haven't had to do any sort of console upgrade yet and proving that people kind of care a lot about experience that the Switch offers that's so unique compared to whatever Sony or Microsoft is doing that they don't even need like cutting edge graphics or anything. I don't even know if this rumored Switch Pro, if it even is going to be a focus on, oh, you know, the, the graphics or the resolutions better. I, I You know, maybe it would be for which would be nice and then you know graphic wise you know all the assets would be the same but if you dock it into your tv you get a 4k mode i heard rumors that maybe it would have like an oled screen which i would totally be into like i'm i am the market for the switch pro i would buy it day one but i think most of the you know as andrew's talking about people who buy pre-built pcs i think most people are just trying to get their hands on any switch they can right now (laughs) whether that's the regular switch or a switch Lite, which both sell out like all the time and are hugely hugely popular so i don't think they need a pro model but i think like the enthusiast market which it's not as many people they definitely want it they definitely want this upgrade yeah i just wonder i just wonder like what features they'll focus on because i'm not sure i'm not really too sure about it i just want breath of the wild too i don't care what console it's on <laughs> yeah yeah i don't sure. care if it's on the switch like i just i think that was like one of the greatest zelda game i'd ever played one of the greatest games i'd ever played and i just i cannot wait for a sequel i'm going to i'm going to go back to an argument i made last week regarding apple see and, and the I, lack, t- I, t- I told you guys the lack <laughs> the lack of the the pro apps that you were hoping to see at wwdc mm. i think similar to that with the Switch Pro, and even with the first Switch, the current, the current Switch, Nintendo did not want to announce that at E3. They wanted to have their own, basically all attention on us. We're doing an event on whatever, X date. No one yeah. else has an event that day. And it's going to be Nintendo Switch day. It's not going to be, you're still talking about what Xbox was saying the other day. And some people are wondering what Sony's doing because they didn't come. No, this week or this day is going to be all about the switch. And that's what they did last time. Mm-hmm. And I think they'll do it again. Like Nintendo. I can't remember the last time I went to a Nintendo like in-person presentation. I think they've, they've just kind of stopped doing that. The last switch was a, it was a day of pre-recorded video presentations. I think they'll do the same next time. And they want it to be closer to when it's ready. I think Nintendo, like Microsoft and Sony are like, hey, here's a console. You can buy this next year, right? Nintendo wants to be like, here's a console. You can buy this in two months. Yeah. Pre-order start today. So I think that's just it. I think it's coming, but it's just too early at this point. And they'd rather have all the attention on themselves rather than do it during someone else's event. Makes sense. Is that something that they've done in the past? Have they usually waited? The last Switch was also the same. It was just like, hey, Nintendo's going to have an event on on Tuesday, and yeah. you tune in like on YouTube or whatever, and then, oh, there's a Switch. Like They've stopped doing the in-person media events for several... I don't remember how long ago it was, but I feel like it's been like five years. So they really are all about just making videos and putting them out there, and you just kind of watch the video live, and that's it. Well, I think this year, if anything, or this past year, Apple showed us that it it can be done well. I will give them that. Like, And it even, I think, brought Samsung's game up quite a bit because Samsung, when they first tried to do it, it was kind of, I think, underwhelming last year. But after Apple threw out a couple of those, those kind of press conference things during COVID, and it was like, wow, that was just really well done. And they continue to do it to this day. Even Samsung's events have been kind of really good. So I think the the art of the remote presentation there's something to that especially since you don't have to do uh, you know kind of get all these people into town and out of town and yeah. what time and all the things and plus you can control what have in previous times been some embarrassing moments like 
hey, Siri, do this. And then Siri doesn't do anything. You know what I mean? Like you're controlling those live moments that sometimes would mess up in a presentation to no longer mess up. You just have a great, smooth presentation for everything. Which I do like. It's weird. I feel like these have been better than the in-person events from a presentation way, standpoint. Way better. Way better. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think a lot of people have this opinion. What happens going forward, though? Keep do it. they just go back to the old way? Is there some hybrid? Like, you don't just take something that many people consider to be much better and throw it away, do you? And just go back to the old version? Or is that just what we expect? I think it stays like this. I really do. I think it stays I think it stays pre-production. I think the question marks are eliminated. That what happens if things fails that can destroy a product, can destroy a stock price, mm. are totally eliminated, right? If a- so, if, just, if Apple unveils iPhone 13 on stage yeah. in front of people live or any f- company, and right. let's say like it something crashes, right? So when someone something happens and it crashes, that's the entire narrative on that phone for at least like six or seven months, right? There are jobs on the line, stock price, like Apple's eliminating that. And they're giving people who are watching, I think, a better product. So you're eliminating the people who can go and like film there at the event, which is obviously fun. But that's a small subset of right. people. And then not only that, John, to your point, a lot of those hands-on day of videos aren't really informative in any way Absolutely. above and beyond what you just watched. So since you're already sending it out to a group of people who will have the video out the next week and they tend to be much better produced and much better, more information – I agree with John. Like, it just makes more sense to just continue to iterate on this. I know they had, they bought that, what was that, the the presentation, that area where they do all the presentations or whatever, but I guess they probably use those for team, for like company meetings. And it, to me, it would make no, there is inherently more risk going back to live. There'll be something interesting about it. You could have some cool things happen. But at that point, what are you gaining versus what are you risking? Yeah. I feel like. Tim Cook coming out to applauding Memoji almost felt like a precursor. Like, mm-hmm. hey, we're getting back to this. Not saying that I, that's my opinion, that they should or shouldn't. But it's, it just seemed like the first few that it was, it was empty or he wasn't even in the theater. And now it's like we're back in the theater. There's crowd, you know, obviously fake crowd noise. We're almost there, guys. If you want to have hands-on and demos and everything, you could always bring people in and just play, right? Mm -hmm. Just play the movie, basically, and then have your hands-on and have your demos and have your interviews, et cetera, afterwards. I do like the hands-on stuff, but honestly, it's just because I I just want to get my hands on it ASAP. I don't want to wait. So, But that's really the only benefit because I think we all know, or most of us know, the travel time to this stuff sucks. Especially if you're flying in, like you're flying. So you take the time to fly in. You got to get your hotel. The next morning is an event. You go to the event, you record stuff. Now you have to make the choice. Do I stay in town to start editing immediately or do I catch a flight back home? It's just so much of your time is wasted. And I feel like when they just ship stuff to you, okay, we just announced this. We'll have it to you by tomorrow, 10 a.m. Or they promise 10 a.m. And then FedEx is a failure every time they come to my house. Hey, you're embar- we're sending this to you tomorrow. The embargo is the day after tomorrow. FedEx will not get it to you until 9.30 p.m. Enjoy your all-nighter. That's <laughs> happened to me twice this year. But other than that, though, I love these pre-recorded things. Yeah, You get all the information. You don't have to go anywhere. You can start working in the place that you are most comfortable instantly the second they finish. I see no downside. But I feel like... They see a downside. I feel like they want it to go back to what it was. I think so. Trying to think back to all the pre-recorded events we've had and the stuff they announced is pretty easy to understand at all of these events. They're iterations of products we've already had. I think the live event is more beneficial when it's something new. And, you know, they are obvious. There's a lot of rumors of stuff they're working on behind the scenes, whether it's like AR glasses, virtual reality headset and stuff like that that when they do that type of event, if they do a virtual event, I feel like it does kind of take some of the hype out of the event. You look back at some of like these, these virtual events, even though they've been extremely well produced, they flow really well, you get all the information you need out of these things, especially for like iOS software and stuff like that. 
I don't really think there was too many like wow moments, you know? And if you go back and look at old live Apple keynotes, sometimes there's even in the Tim Cook era, sometimes there's just like that wow moment of like, ooh, they really did that. And you get all the cheering and stuff like that. And I think when they unveil something new, something that no one's ever seen before, having people there that can test it would be very beneficial to them, whether or not it's like a pre-recorded thing, like you said, Andrew, and they just sit you down and have you watch a video and then have you do hands on or whether it's an actual live event with Tim Cook coming out on stage or, or a mixture of both of those presentation styles. But like, say they announce like AR glasses like that. I don't think Apple would want you to take their word for it. I don't think they'd want to like show it off at a virtual event and then like, that's it. That's all because people are inherently critical. You know, they're critical, they're skeptics, they're cynics, and they're going to say, this doesn't work. That looks bad. And I think Apple does value having that initial hands-on to wow people and get that information out there. I agree. The other thing I wonder about when you were talking about the AR headset, especially in the past, so you'd have an event and you go out and then it's a free for all. Everybody's trying mm-hmm. to grab devices. Madhouse. Okay, you got the red one. Here's the let's swap. I have the green one. You give me the red one. Now I'll record the red one. What is a company's responsibility going forward to where someone just used a headset and now I'm going to put it on my head? It's going to cover my nose. Mm. It's going to be in my like someone just used the phone. Now I'm just going to grab it from them. Yeah. Like, do we just go back to what it was or is there like new protocols that will obviously make things more time consuming or, or more expensive. Like if they need to have a phone for everyone that only stays in their hand, right. Or a headset for everyone rather than just passing around. I'm just, I'm curious about the whole thing, how the pandemic will change things going forward for this kind of stuff. I really don't think it's going to change anything long-term, maybe for the first unveiling of a couple of these things, there's some sort of protocol. Maybe you got someone wiping stuff down, but like the fact of the matter is they have Apple stores with demo units and people go in and play with those devices. So many more people go and play with those devices Mm -hmm. and are at risk for sickness and stuff like that. I live in New Jersey. We have a really high vaccination rate to the point where like things are pretty much back to how they were before any of this started like you go into like a bar it is full of people you go into like anywhere all the mask requirements are gone so you walk into like a grocery store and even though like maybe i'm still wearing a mask i see people just like no mask and everything feels kind of packed it feels like there's a lot of like pent up people have been waiting a long time to go out and stuff like that and I think that will eventually transfer over. I think Apple and companies like that and in that status will definitely be more conscious of it, especially navigating this first year of this like post pandemic. But I, I don't know. I don't envision it long term. I just feel like it's human nature to go out and like connect with people. And I feel like yeah. that's going to be almost impossible to like completely get rid of. Fair enough. Travis. Yeah. Let's talk about your, your feelings on the iPad real quick. Mm. obviously anyone can anyone can jump in as he's moving around (laughs) i love Um, it look at that it's like it's like he has a cameraman you should do like all your videos like that just like right hey so using the new ipad pro with center stage which follows you around as you move so that you kind of stay in frame oh (laughs) look at this guy what are you doing that's that's not a smooth what something's wrong over there yeah (laughs) i'm just moving my webcam like a normie So the reason I bring this up is, Travis, you are one of the few people who I know who at one point was doing the majority of your work on an iPad. And so, like, I know several people personally who do use an iPad as their primary and and only device. But I think when you go into the tech creator world or even just the people who consider themselves like tech fans, that's way less you know, way less people. So for example, my grandmother uses an iPad exclusively for everything she does. Doesn't need a PC, doesn't need a Mac. But people who do video editing, for example, will usually say this is not a desktop replacement yet. And you spent some time basically managing your channel all from an iPad. So I wanted to get your your thoughts on how that was, how that went for you back when you were Mm -hmm. doing that. And also your thoughts on current iPad and your disappointments with uh, WWDC. Well, so I still edit all my videos on my iPad Pro. That came from a meeting with Jonathan Morrison when I visited him in California a year and a half ago when the iPad Pro 2018 came out. And he told me, he was like, yeah, you know, you can edit your videos on iPads. I'm like, what? Like, it just had never crossed my mind. 
And then, uh, you know, I started playing around with Lumifusion and it has improved over the last couple of years. And I still use it to this day. I even tried to use uh, Final Cut for a while, but I'm just so much faster with Lumifusion. And it's not like my videos are very complicated anyway that I've just kind of stayed with this workflow. Now, to be clear, I still have a desktop, a Windows desktop with multiple monitors. Um, and I use that for like some thumbnail stuff and, and other various things. But I edit exclusively on the iPad Pro. So to me, it's a machine. It's my professional machine, if you want to call it that. I love iPads in general. I think that they're great, especially as a living room device. Uh, you come home, watch TV if you want to look something up. I just think that especially the iPad mini, which is one of my favorite kind of versions of the iPad, I think they're just a fantastic device. The Pro is just in a weird place right now because it has been promised to be so many things and it is still so powerful. So there's there's been thought about like, well, how much more powerful can it get without apps to really support the power that it has? The power that it has now, obviously, is desktop level. I mean, they're selling iMacs with the same processor, the same Thunderbolt. Like, it's the same. It is desktop powerful. But even though there's some great apps, there's none that are really taking advantage of the 8 to 16 gigs of RAM on these things. There's none of them that are really taking advantage of the M1 like capabilities of this thing. And I would argue some of them probably aren't even taking advantage of the A12. I mean, like the A12Z and Y and everything that was out there. I mean, or X and Y, Z, whatever. They, who cares? It's d- dumb. The 2020 and the 2018 versions are the same thing in my mind. But the reality is I went into WWDC just hoping that we'd get some pro apps. I don't I don't necessarily mean that we had to or that I was guaranteeing it, but it just made sense based on some things that Apple had done that they had never done before, like actually tell you how much RAM was in an iPad. They've never done that before. It was yeah. in one of the yeah. one of the things on the screen. And I was like, why would they do that? They've never done that before. Plus they had like different RAM configurations depending on how much storage you got. When have they done that before? Like the just these weird things they never done before and it just seemed to make sense. Now in fairness, we could still see these things happen. It's just that it made so much more sense in WWDC because the timing was interesting. The iPad Pro came out. Yeah. It was only a couple months later, WWDC. You think it was a one-two punch? Like, so much about it made sense. Final Cut already exists on an M1 as far as, like, MacBooks and stuff. So everything seemed to line up. And when it didn't happen, I then looked at the iPad Pro differently especially the 2021 version, because it's so expensive now. I mean, minus the, I'm not going to even talk about the 11 inch because it's the same price. So it's not that bad, but I'm always thinking about 12.9 because that's where they put the mini led. Like that's all the things, right? That's the, that's the one. And it now makes no sense, especially from a price perspective. You might as well get a refurbished 2018 at this point, because 99% of the stuff you can do on 2021, you can do on a 2018. And unless you're doing I mean, I don't even know what to say. Like, less, I would say less you're doing this, but that's not like Jonathan Morrison has shown you many times what you can do in the 2018. He shot a video he never released that. I mean, I saw some great stuff from him. I'm like, this is amazing what you can do with it. And they're just it, it now to me makes no sense. I almost feel like Apple has painted themselves into a corner because I can't figure out a way to show the performance gains on the 2021 versus the 2018 and make it look significant. When I did some export tests just between the 2020 and the 2021, I think there was a three second difference or something in LumaFusion. Like there, there's just no, I can't justify it to anybody. And that was the biggest disappointment for me because I felt like, oh, this is great. And now the potential's there and then nothing happened. So for me, I'm disappointed. I don't, I have no interest in getting the next version. Like I will probably sit on this version for a while. They can't do anything without giving me more software to take advantage of the hardware that I'm going to care about the next version of the iPad Pro. So right now, you know, I'm telling people, if you can get a great deal in 2018 or 2020, do that. So this is where Andrew jumps in and says, but OLED on, (laughs) (laughs) but, but mini LED, but the camera moves when you move. Those are upgrades that matter (laughs) to people. And Apple knows that people want these things. Have you seen what the mini LED or the screen looks like <laughs> when it's showing true HDR content? It's mind blowing. Have you seen this? People need it. Apple yeah, gave I it have. to us. I, I looked at it. It is great. But the thing is like, who's paying over a thousand dollars for that? And who's paying $2,000 for the top end? The only reason that $2,000 for an iPad ever made sense to me are that people that would buy that would make money with it because it's a tool. Yep. And those people need different tools than what are available right now to make a $2,000 expense on their business to go, I'll take this over a MacBook Pro that's fully fleshed out that I can definitely make money with. Like it doesn't, 
still to this day it makes sense to me. All right, Andrew, go ahead. Explain it. Explain. <laughs> explain. No, no, explain no, no. why why Apple is uh, omnipotence and they know. I have no, know, I have no explanation. I have no explanation. <laughs> My only explanation: the two things I would say are number one, release new hardware whenever it's ready. So the twelve point nine inch is more expensive, which is a departure from several iPad Pros in a row. So if you were spending is it $7.99 that the 11-inch starts at, I believe? Yep. If you were spending $7.99 five months ago versus today, you're getting something better for that same amount of money. So put it out there so that people are – that same amount of money, they're getting something better. The software experience and the hardware experience are two different things. I think the hardware experience is an improvement. The software experience that we saw with iOS 15 is an improvement, but it's, it's much more of a minor improvement. I think things like putting in 5G, putting in a Thunderbolt port, putting in the new display on the larger iPad, the new processor, those are all great improvements. But like Travis said, and I kind of agree, software defines what the hardware can do, right? Like software is what you're experiencing. You don't really experience hardware, experience software. So the only thing I said to John last week, though, was this was just like Nintendo told us, Nintendo and Apple have a lot of correlation between them just like nintendo told us before e3 this is a software event they said that this is a software event guys apple wwdc this is an operating system event like we're going to show you the operating system and we're going to show you all the new features inside the os that you can develop for in the apis i would not expect to see for example final cut pro at a wwdc i wouldn't expect to see a new version of logic i do expect to see them and if wait, they don't wait, come wait, out, Andrew, I will be very disappointed. Andrew, hold on a Go second. ahead. Go ahead. Final Cut Pro Logic. What are those again? These are apps. And apps are? Software. There we go. So software event. I said this is an operating system event. You, this is an operating system event. You said this is a software event. Software dictates. No, that, software no, 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 dictates, that was Nintendo. Software dictates what the hardware can do. You're arguing. Nintendo. You're arguing, see, this, this is the Apple apologist side of it, right? Like, no, no, no. I'm like saying they, we, they we know what WWDC is. I, I didn't mean that software. I we meant, know I, what mean, it is. I meant this software. I didn't mean that particular software. I meant the other kind of software that they run. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I'm calling it like <laughs> I see it again. I feel like <laughs> so I feel like two things. Number one, the vast majority of people who were disappointed were disappointed because they wanted to see Final Cut and Logic. Sure. And some other people who wanted to see the new MacBook Pro, of course which uh, we hope to see. But I also feel like those two apps that so many people were disappointed by, what percentage of users are using those versus who are using FaceTime, right? Like Apple focused on the operating system. Here's what everybody will have access to in September or in the fall, whatever. Again, I hope to see these things. I would love to see them. And I would hope that I don't need to relearn anything to use them because otherwise I probably wouldn't use them. But I want to see, I want to see these as much as anyone else. I just, I would be surprised to see them at WWDC. That's my only point. They've never done this. I think it's a fair point not to expect Final Cut or Logic to be at WWDC. Like you, you are, you're right about that. These are software features for the operating system. And yeah, these are just pro applications. They, you know, you don't need Final Cut to run that's not going to make the iPad run or it's not going to do live text features. It's not going to do anything cool with FaceTime and Final Cut and Logic are, you know, in the grand scheme of things, a few people care about these apps like five. I don't even know if it's that high, five or 10 percent of your customer base. Who knows how high it really is? It's an important part of the market, though, because it's iPad Pro. I so, disagree. I disagree wholeheartedly but, with both of you, even ooh. even if nobody is going to use Final Cut on the iPad. Yeah, it improves the perception of what the iPad can do. Does Audi need to sell the R8 Spider? Nope, absolutely not. A few people are interested, in it, but man, look what Audi as a brand can do. That thing is fast. If people can edit on Final Cut on an iPad Pro, man, me watching Netflix on my iPad Pro is going to be a beast. <laughs> That's going to get me pumped to get this thing right. <laughs> man, if that 2020 iPad Pro can edit three streams of 8K, man, like. Hulu is going to be amazing. Maybe I should get the pro version. Maybe I should spend the extra money for it. There's an argument both ways. And to say because a company has never done something 
they should, it's never going to happen again. Apple had never done a virtual event before. They did a virtual event before. I, I think using past precedent for, for future events is, is a little bit silly. But I also think buying hardware based on future software updates is also silly. Yeah. For sure. Yes. Definitely. And, and, and as Tesla owners, we can all attest to the, the idiocy of that that we've all fallen into. Apple never promised pro apps. Apple never told us pro apps were coming. We are assuming and we are hoping. And while certainly I am yeah. disappointed, and I think WWC would have been a great place to do it, they've never said anything. So if I bought the iPad thinking I was going to get pro apps, well, that's on me for the, yeah. for the flip side of, uh, of that coin. Here's, here's what I think. Although I think I, here's what I thought, and I think I'm now incorrect. Final Cut for iPad Pro would have been a great announcement during the wherever they show off the M1X, M1, whatever, MacBook Pro. Here's what the MacBook Pro can do. Oh, and by the way, similar to how they showed you the, what was it called? The continuity coherence between- Universal control. There you go. Universal control. Here's what you can do on your iPad Pro in the new Final Cut Pro app. So kind of matching those up. But Final Cut Pro just got a small update, I think a week ago. And they rarely update Final Cut Pro, even on the desktop. So it feels like, oh, an update just came. So, okay, I guess we're going to wait another three months or whatever before we see the next one. Unless this update also sets up something like what an iPad can do. But I agree. Software defines what the hardware can do. And if the software experience is lacking, then what is the point of, of having such powerful hardware? So I think Apple showed their hand during the presentation a little bit. And... It was it was what really kind of I don't want to say depressed me, but really kind of started to sour me on the pro because first of all, we have to remember iPad OS is for all iPads and there's more regular iPads out there than pros. So I fully am willing to accept that and that the vast majority of features need to, you know, speak to those people. Totally cool with that. But you don't go charging all this money for this ex this extra piece of hardware that's supposed to do all these things without giving it more features and functionality that's actually something you can make money with and then call it pro. Yet in the video, it became little more than an accessory as it became the end portion of that continuity thing. It was the thing you it was at the very end. You were never doing anything to it. You were doing things from it. You know what I mean? Like it was the smallest thing on the side. You had the, the MacBook and then you had the iMac and everything was kind of going across everything. And it was like, it was like the iPad was the little baby boy in the corner that's just kind of, <laughs> yeah. may I have another, sir? And I'm like, bro, what? how is that the pro of the three? It's the only one named pro of the three that they, well, I guess they get a MacBook Pro, but you could do an, a MacBook Air with the same thing. And it's it very much showed me between that and then when they talked about, what was it, that software that you can make apps on on your iPad now? The Swift. Swift Playground. Swift. Okay. When they talked about that and then even mentioned Xcode, but Xcode as if it lived somewhere else, that was another point where I was like, yeah, Apple thinks of this thing as an accessory, a smaller version of the larger thing. And it really gave me a mindset of they're never going to look at this thing as like a professional will use it for professional use. Those two things alone to me showed their hand that they could have said Xcode on iPad or they could have just ignored it altogether. But what they did is they said, Hey, here's something you can use instead of, instead of uh, Xcode on iPad. And by the way, when you're doing all these cool things, you're doing productivity and you need multiple monitors, your $2,000 iPad pro is a monitor. C great. Congrats. I mean, Travis, let me jump in here for some defense. All right. No, I think the one thing I've heard that argument. I think the one thing a lot of people miss though, is that these updates are for every iPad. So your iPad mini, for example, can do this too. They're showing the newest thing. But I think that kind of goes back to what is differentiator software-wise? We know the differentiators hardware-wise. They're very obvious between an iPad mini or iPad Air or iPad Pro. We know the hardware differentiators. What is the differentiator software-wise? And maybe, I mean, quite honestly, is I feel like there should be one. But there's no differentiator between a MacBook Air or a Mac Mini and a Mac Pro, right? Right. Ten times the cost, but they run the same hardware and do the same things. Just one is faster than the other. Like, this is just something I'm thinking of as I'm speaking. How do you differentiate the iPad Pro in particular? Mm -hmm. And this is one where John said, you don't. the past shouldn't dictate the future. And I feel like this is an example where it really should not. Just because all iPads 
have run the same software in the past. Mm -hmm. What are you going to do in the future to make the iPad Pro stand out from the other iPads? Aside from, I appreciate being able to plug in a Thunderbolt drive. Like, I I genuinely appreciate that because that's what I take with me when I go on trips. But I appreciate the display, but that display only kicks into HDR mode when I'm watching movies. Right. Not when I'm in Final Cut, or maybe it will if it there is no final cut, so it can't do it when I'm final cut. <laughs> what do you hope to see them do? Like, what do you hope to see them do from a software perspective? I am totally okay with, and everyone else should be okay with, having a hard line in the app store where, because it's already happened, where this software is compatible with this hardware. Final cut is not compatible with anything else other than iPad Pro 2020 or later. And you should be okay with that because it should have to use, or the 2021 or later, because it should have to use the power that's in that piece of hardware. So to me, this isn't even like a thing to, to even think about it. It should, it takes care of itself. This software only works on this hardware. This person who buys an iPad mini is not going to try to, well, maybe they will, but they should not try to put it on a final cut on an iPad mini. Like you're not gonna pay $300 for software when you paid like 350 for your, I mean, well, you might, if you get the stupid keyboard, I mean, good googly goo, but yeah, I mean, it, to me, it just makes sense. If you align these things properly, set the expectations properly and it, it takes, I think it just takes care of itself. There. Is there even a limit? Like you, you're saying we should draw this line. And I know Apple has like an incredibly hard job to do because the iPad is like one of the simplest computers you can use out there. And I'm sure, mm-hmm. you know, we're just a bunch of like four people who video edit. But like, if you actually look at like the market of iPad users and like who's buying iPads, it's people who want like a simple computer that just works. I hate to use that because right. people use that all the time. And I'm sure even in iPad sales, it's not iPad Pro, which is selling like the most numbers. But again, it is that thing of like, what is pro? Is it the best? Well, yeah, the iPad Pro, it's the best. It has the best display, best design. There's people doing impressive stuff on it, but it doesn't go far enough for a lot of people. Video editors and developers, I think, are probably the two biggest audiences where it's like, I cannot use that as my main device. But why? And then pro features, if it's talking about pro apps, I feel like, and again, nothing's promised. I feel like it's inevitable that there's some version of Final Cut that comes on the iPad Pro. I couldn't see why you wouldn't do it, especially now that the Macs and the iPad literally have the same chip. I don't know what kind of how it'll look, how it'll be optimized for touch. I'm sure it won't look exactly like the desktop version of Final Cut. I don't see Apple is going, here's desktop Final Cut. Here you go. It's going to be optimized for touch. There's going to be some differences there. But in the same breath, do they have to limit it on other devices? Because when you're looking at something like the iPad Air, is there that much of a difference between that and the Pro even? I know it says M1 now, but you know this chip was going to be A14X or whatever you want to yeah. call it. The genius of Apple was showing this chip off in the Mac first and calling it M1. This was always the mobile chip. You're not getting, you're not, you're not getting desktop power in this iPad Pro. You're getting mobile processing power from the iPad on the Macs now. That's the way to look at it. So is there even a limit of why Apple couldn't bring Final Cut to the air? Do they even have to make that line in the sand where like, okay, these are the pro apps that can take advantage of it. Maybe they don't run as well as the air because of RAM limitations and stuff like that. But, you know, Apple's sold MacBook Airs or MacBooks that have never run Final Cut well, but they still allowed you to, you know, open it up and maybe edit a short video on it, even if it wasn't the best experience. So I don't think they have to draw this physical line in the sand of, oh, you can only run these apps on the iPad Pro because I feel like it would just be an artificial limit. Like all the iPads that Apple sells, even that $329 iPad with an A12 in it. I mean, these are pretty powerful devices. Like they are more powerful than the Intel MacBook Airs that Apple used to sell. So I don't feel like there's there should be a limit on the software that can run on any of these iPads. With that being said, it's a difficult balance to walk with because you're selling a pro product that is just as simple as the $300 product you sell. Is there a way to make the iPad pro more pro without sacrificing that simplicity? And I think there are a few things that they could do to win people over. I I don't necessarily even have a problem with iPad OS, how it runs on the iPad, but then you start running into limitations. That Thunderbolt port they added is like a great big step, you know, Thunderbolt drives, like super fast storage. Like I was showing in my video, like I had like an eight gigabyte file. I transferred it in seconds. Like things that used to be problems on the iPad with like a lightning port aren't a problem anymore. But then you run into those limits of like, 
you plug this into a 5K monitor, all of a sudden you got the four by three display of a mirrored iPad Pro. Like if they could do something like Samsung DeX, where maybe it kind of gives you like a little version of Mac OS, I feel like that would kind of be enough for people to make it more of a pro device. I appreciate that sentiment. With that, <laughs> with that, <laughs> gentlemen, thank you for joining the show. Thank Yay. you, thank you. GadgetCast, you can find once again, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere you listen. Anywhere. Check them out if you want more expertise from Travis and Greg. And again, guys, thank you so much for joining us on the show. That's pretty much it. Thank you, guys. Mm. Thank you. (laughs) And that is it for this edition of Geared Up. Thank you so much for listening. Of course, you can catch John and I on YouTube. I'm at YouTube.com slash Gear Live. And John is at YouTube.com slash John for Lakers. Feel free to head over and subscribe to our channels to stay up to date on all the latest tech. Speaking of subscribing, you can subscribe to Geared Up in your favorite podcast app if you haven't done so already. Just search Geared Up, that's two words, not one, in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts, Overcast, or really wherever you choose to listen. If you like what we do, please consider leaving us a rating and review. It really helps other people find the show. Geared Up is a Gear Live podcast, and you can see more from us at gearlive.com. Thank you so much for listening. For John Rettinger, I'm Andrew Edwards, and we'll catch you in the next episode.